Welcome to Thriller After Dark. Before we start, I want to let you know that the following is uncut, uncensored, unedited. There has been no change to the recording of this. The opinions that I express are solely in the moment and of my own, and sometimes you won't agree. gentlemen and welcome to our first ever thriller after dark today we have vlad costea yeah that's fine <laughs> i'm sorry vlad i know you coached me on your last name and one day i'll get it, it uh, thanks for matter. coming on the show i had john carvalho on my show on the podcast which i'm about to release next week and i called him carvalho because it's c-r-l-v-h-o but it's supposed to be pronounced as Carvalho, and he told me after the show, and I was very upset because I didn't know that. So it happens. Yeah, I'm sorry. Don't worry. It's <laughs> part of being European, I guess, and not coming or not having origins from a country which is English-speaking. So this is bound to happen. Yeah. I love your first name, though, Vlad. It has a nice, solid, like, ring to it. It's very, very strong. It has one syllable, and it actually means strong. Does it really? Oh, wow. It feels strong. I love it. It comes from old Slavic, and Volod in the old Russian meant power. And Vlad oh, means wow. something like a prince or ruler of the land or something. Nice. But let's talk crypto. That, that's why we're here, right? Yeah, let's talk crypto. So I want to, you know, okay, let me just paint a picture. All right. So this week, uh, I get into kind of a Twitter spat with Richard Hart, and he's just deflecting. Like he's deflecting this whole Bitcoin hex project. It's, 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 it's one of those things where I've been trying to get really good at, like letting, letting people speak, letting them get their point across and then taking a turn and say, okay, well, let me talk. And let me explain why this is this way and really making a strong effort to like meet people halfway. Like uh, my whole life, I've always like, you know, stuck to my side of things and never listened. And now I'm making a conscious effort these past two years to like really listen to the other side. Like even if I don't agree with it, just listen. Right. And every time I'd ask him a question, he just would deviate from anything that I was dishing out. And I know you went on his show. I know you did a, a an article that I'll post here in the show notes telling us why his latest project, Bitcoin Hex, is a complete scam. Can you tell us how you got involved with this article? I mean, some of the stuff that you cover in there, Vlad, is like, it's obvious to a lot of us who've been in the space for a long time, but there's some other stuff that you uncovered that we didn't even, I didn't even know of until you actually dug into the smart contract and got all that figured out but yeah, it was a whole process like all the president's men you you just had to publish something and present some arguments and then people reach to you and tell you stuff 
And in regards to that last part about the smart contract, I'm not technical in the sense that I can read very well Solidity contracts in Ethereum. But somebody has pointed that out to me and I started researching in the file that he pointed out to me. I'm not sure what his name is. Let me check just for the sake of, you know, giving credit to people. Yeah, absolutely. He is on Twitter and his name is Mark Rex. So Mark Rex, I think his dash is Mark underscore Rex underscore H. He was the one who wrote to me and said, you know, there's something very fishy about the smart contract. But this was, I guess, the last phase of writing the article. At first, I went to that interview, which happened on the 28th or something of December. It was around that time on a Friday. Okay. And we did the first part of the interview, which took over an hour, and we just spoke and he forgot to press the record button. So we did it for nothing. Oh, wow. Really? We had a back and forth debate. I think we started with the the news about the hardware wallet fail pro- program. There was a conference presentation where they showed how to hack into a ledger and into the Trezor. And to me, that was shocking at the time. And I decided, okay, this guy knows a lot, has been in the, in the space for a longer time than me. So we talked about that. And then we decided to talk about Litecoin's sponsorship of the UFC and how he was arguing that it's a bad idea and you cannot count how many people view it. And it's the kind of awareness which is bad. And I disagreed with him and said, no, it's awareness when you post a billboard on the street, you're not going to know how many people look at it. You're not going to know how many people access your website because of it, but it's still something which helps you remember and stick a mind and stick a name in the back of your mind. Exactly. And we had these small disagreements and he also introduced to me the idea of Bitcoin hacks, but I I didn't really know much about it to my real shame. I didn't do much research to see what he's up to. So to me, it was a process of finding out during the show. But by the time I figured out, okay, so it's like an ERC-20 token, which is stored on the Ethereum blockchain. It's supposed to replicate Bitcoin, but not on a one-by-one scale but in a way to make anyone who signs up with a few Satoshis a millionaire in Hex. And it doesn't deserve the name Bitcoin because it, did, it has no contribution whatsoever to the proof of work of the blockchain. So it just borrows that just because it snapshots the blockchain. It's not like Bitcoin Gold or Bitcoin Cash, which may not be the best hard forks of the main chain, but at least they have the merit of actually contributing to the mining to one point where they diverged from the consensus. Bitcoin Hex has nothing of that. It, it, it just uses the name for the sake of making people that it's going to be worth something. And it starts from the premise that you're going to be able to take Satoshi's coins which is a smart way to put it, but actually it's only about how many people claim their tokens 
And after that point, there's going to be a steady inflation rate. So the rich get richer, and Richard is the king of them all, who probably... I, I don't think any bigger Bitcoin holder is going to sign up for this. And he will end up holding the most tokens. And being the leader of the project, he's going to be the first one to find out whenever he gets listed on exchanges. And he's going to place the orders strategically, knowing exactly when major events happen. And he's going to twist the narrative on his show and every week talk about what happened and present it in a sugar-coated way which never holds him accountable. And I, I just had to write about this because I became aware in the middle of the show that this is fishy and I should investigate further. And by the time the show ended, I knew that I had to write this article. And I had to take some days to actually see what his stance on Ethereum is, because I remembered something very vaguely from his debate with Roger Veer, where he was actually pro-Bitcoin at the time. And I discovered that his opinion has shifted very much. He actually said that Ethereum is beyond any repairs and it's a very bad protocol. And right now he's actually building a project which he claims to <laughs> be much more legit than the real Bitcoin. And I guess in terms of argumentation, this is what you call the appeal to hypocrisy. When you present that the person speaking to you has changed or switched any kind of argument which they had in the past. So it may not be the best way to present something. Maybe that he... He definitely knows much more than me in technical terms. But I did about five years of political science and I took classes in rhetorics and I know how arguments are built and presented. I know how to write speeches and stuff like that. So he's not going to fool me in any way. He may, when we talk, he may be able to cover more of the discussion time and speak over me and make sure that he picks one small part of what I say and twists it in a way that maybe makes me forget about my initial point just because he's the native speaker and it's his show and he's the one who speaks the most. And at any point, he can just pretend that he's watching the chat and say that he's looking at the reactions and wants to change the topic or whatever. And I think last week, it was last week that I published the article and Richard probably got so mad that he removed the video, even though I don't think it was anything to frame him as guilty. It wasn't a healthy debate. We, I think in terms of arguments, it's better off to just read the article because it, it has many more arguments about yeah. what the project is all about. Whereas when I actually spoke to him during the live interview, I didn't know much about Bitcoin hacks. I, I needed to take my time and do the research. And even if I knew, I'm not sure if I could speak my mind because I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not a salesman like he is. He brags about how 
he had these retail stores in the early 2000s, in the early days of the internet, and how he made so much money at the time. Well, I didn't. Uh, my job is to write, and I'm usually more focused and can present my arguments in a more coherent way when I just have the silence to think and analyze all the facts. And I'm not saying that Bitcoin Hex is a scam in the sense that it's going to collapse or close down. I, I guess it's going to be around for a year or at least as long as it takes for the whole inflation rate to actually get fulfilled and all the coins to be distributed. But when you have a central power who is the most knowledgeable actor and you have a very blatant and shameless premise of getting rich, he actually says, this is how you get rich during the bear market. You buy my token. And it's going to be worthless. You can hoard and acquire as much hacks as you want, because unless somebody actually trades any kind of BTC or ETH or something which is valuable on the market for hacks, that's going to be just as worth as stones or something which has no value until somebody decides by consensus that it has some kind of value. I think I spoke too much. <laughs> no, no, you're exactly right. I wanted, I wanted to make sure that you got your point across. I think um, I can go with this so many ways, but I'll, I'll go with the way I usually judge people when I, when I meet them. I've never met Richard Hart. I'm sure he's probably a nice guy like to have a beer with or something. But uh, there's several key flags that come up whenever I uh, first heard of him in the space and uh, like watched his show. And he has some really good points on a lot of uh, uh, things when it comes to just life and good life advice sometimes. Uh, other t- most of the time, one of the things that comes off right away that I you know, picked up just because, you know, the way I grew up was very rough. Like I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Um, I've been poor, <laughs> you know, when I was little, we were very poor when we were growing up, um, was able to get out of that as, as an adult, but, um, you learn stuff by, by hanging around people that are, you know, like Richard Hart. <laughs> and, uh, so you can kind of pick up on these, on these cues. Um, one of the very first things that I noticed about him was the fact that he always, um, presented himself like he was right on every topic. He would just come over, he'd come over on people just like, I'm right on this. You're wrong. You're stupid. And he would lash out. Like he's, he's probably one of the few YouTubers that lashes out on his audience. And usually when, when a person lashes out on other people or people that he, that, cause he, he really is condescending to a lot of the people that he has on the show. And when people, when, when it, at least from my, what I find, when somebody does that, they're not a good person. <laughs> like they're not a good person. They have some mental issues probably there. There's other uh, issues that they're probably going through um, that we're not aware of, uh, but there's something there. People don't just lash out on people um, for for no reason, unless they're either unsatisfied with their life or unsatisfied with themselves. There's there's a lot going on there, right? So no, but I think psychologically speaking, that's very smart of him because he comes out as the dominant know-it-all. So he calls you stupid during the show, and that's his way yeah. of presenting himself as an authority. If you're still following him after he calls you stupid, then you clearly 
accept the fact that he is superior and you're supposed to listen to him. And in that sense, he's asking for confirmation from the audience. If he calls you stupid and you keep on watching him, then it means that he can actually experiment with some other snake oil salesman tactics. Because when I first saw him and I spoke to him, he came out to me as, just watch the way he dresses and the way he acts and his description that he's a billionaire when he clearly needs a lot of money. Otherwise, he wouldn't be running this scheme and otherwise he would be having a big team of developers and code reviewers for his, his project. He comes out as this kind of narcissist who yeah. likes to talk too much about himself, who likes yeah. to present himself as very successful, he likes to brag, he likes to show off his bling bling and rings. And to me, I think in terms of presentation, he's like a classic sneaky scammer who's trying to present himself as what he's not. But in terms of discussion and coherence and discourse, I'd classify him as a postmodernist scammer who makes you yeah. aware of how scammers work, but at the same time tries to scam you. So he gives you this sense that he knows better how somebody who is dishonest is trying to persuade you into something, but at the same time he's trying to persuade you into something. So he's like, yeah, scammer within a scammer or something. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, growing up, I've met a ton of those people <laughs> and you get burned by a couple, a few of them the very first time you meet them because you just don't know any better. Right. But as you get older, you start realizing you start recognizing those type of people like right off the bat. And when I first saw him on YouTube and a lot of people were talking about him, he would show up on Twitter. He would show up on all these different you know social streams. And it's like, who is this guy? Why is his last name Hart? Uh, and so I watched a couple of shows. I was like, oh, this, this guy. And you start, you start seeing it. One of the things I will say in his defense that I, and this is the reason why I think, you know, I, I, I'm this type of person that I don't give up on people. I, I know the, there's a lot of people out there that will, that'll say, oh, this person can never change, blah, blah. I'm one of those few people that really will never give up on somebody. And when I see Richard Hart, he has a lot of those things that make, makes him an awful person just to watch, Right. And but he also has something else. And and that something else is he understands what it is to be human. And he is very eloquent about the way he talks about being human and about uh, what he's been through. And you can tell there's there's something else there that he only shows every once in a while. But he doesn't show it because he doesn't want to be vulnerable in front of people. And uh, and and for that, I will say that he has that in him. And either he's aware of it or he's not aware of it. But I do sense there is some I do really believe that he thinks he is helping these people by letting them get on. But like there's no doubt in my mind. I really think he, he thinks that he's helping people by, by getting on board with Bitcoin Hex. I don't agree with Bitcoin Hex whatsoever. I think it's I think it's going to be 2019's biggest scam of the year for sure, um, if not BTT. Right. So I will I will just say right off the bat. Uh, I've already told my audience, like, do not buy Bitcoin hacks. Do not even try to do the airdrop. Why would you let somebody know how much crypto, how much Bitcoin you own? 
Um, he's going to dump on you 100%. Like he's literally going to dump on you because he controls a project. And I'm almost certain, almost certain that he probably didn't get it audited correctly. And either there's going to be some bug or it's going to crash or something's going to happen to where the coin either, once it hits the exchange, the coin either fails on, on that process where, you know, I think Cardano had something that happened where, they had to stop the, uh, gosh, I forget what it was called, but uh, once uh, once ADA started, you know, showing up on all these exchanges, at a certain point, they had to cut off uh, uh, sending and receiving because the wallets were just not functioning at a certain point, right? So I think there's going to be something similar to that. It almost seems like it's a rushed uh, ERC-20 token, and there is no way he built all those. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't look at the the thing, but... I just don't believe all those uh, game theory little pieces that he put in. I don't think, I don't think they're in there. Well, but. I have to reply to a lot of stuff. First of all, I don't watch him regularly or at all. I've only followed him prior to the interview to see what kind of person he is, and yeah, that only took a few minutes of research of scheming through <laughs> his videos. And I haven't really followed him after, as in, I, I ha- I'm a busy person. I have to write articles all the time, so I have to do research on all sorts of people. So this means that I cannot have any kind of consistency in following somebody, as I, I have to do background checks and documentation on everybody that I interview. And I guess I feel sorry right now for not recording the interview myself. I was reckless in this sense, and I allowed him to do it. Usually it's the other way around. I'm the one who records, but he wanted it to be live, and it was the first time when I actually did a live show. And it it was strange. I I was trying to be nice and smiling, and I had no idea what kind of audience he has. And I, I still don't know. I was watching the chat sometimes, and they were making fun of my they're appearance. Pretty, and stuff. They're pretty vicious. Yeah. But I'm not going to judge him as a person, because I don't know him as a person, but I know him as a character. I know that his last name is not Hart. And when he comes in his show and presents himself with that hat and the chain and the rings and that fancy aristocratic table with the silver silver platter. <laughs> I know that it's not really him as a person. Even though he likes to talk about self-help and I think he also talks about fitness lately as he says he got fat and wants to lose weight. And I guess a lot of people empathize with that part. Mm, I don't think that he is like that all the time. Like... He wakes up in the morning and he's the same character, the same person. He has to show off in front of his audience. He has to present key points that actually keep the audience in, keeps well, the points keep the audience engaged. I'm sorry, it's six in the morning here. It's eleven at night in there. So I guess both of us have struggles to think clearly. I guess. What was I saying? I'm you're, you're not saying trying that. to defame him or say anything calumnious yeah. about him. 
I don't know him as a person. I just know the character that I see on YouTube. And to me, that seems very sneaky and malevolent. I, I guess in terms of Bitcoiners, he is a bad actor because he's trying to use and appropriate the name, which can be just another social attack, which confuses noobs. Yeah. And they're going to think, oh, look, this rose up 20% this week or something. They're going to look on coin market cap and say, oh, this is just like Bitcoin, but it's actually moving during this bear market. And I guess an essential question about Bitcoin hacks is why is it launching now when the number of participants and the number of people interested in crypto right now is at its lowest due to the price? There is that point which people call capitulation where a lot of participants just give up and say, I'm going home, I'm going to carry on with whatever it is that I do with my life and forget about this. And he yeah. wants to launch during this time frame, as opposed to waiting for the bear market when he's going to have many more participants. He can twist the narrative and say that this is all about people who follow him on a regular basis and wants to help them. But actually, it's also about himself as he's going to get many more coins, as there are going to be fewer participants. He likes to present himself as a victim and say that as opposed to Roger Veer, he doesn't have the same star power or audience. But if you look at the numbers he gets, usually I think a bad episode gets 10,000 views and a good one over 20,000. As opposed yeah. to Roger Veer, who gets 900. I just checked. He posted a video yesterday about buying Gumball or something, but Bitcoin Cash. It's one of those machines which unlocks oh, really? a piece of Crazy. gum if you pay. Do with... you scan a QR code or something? Yeah, exactly. And he got only about 900 views in a day, which is underwhelming given the potential that he has. And I guess not many people follow him anymore. But he's still famous and he doesn't get many views. And Richard Hart, I guess he has a bad reputation among Bitcoiners, as far as I could tell. During my background check, I just asked people around, okay, I'm going to interview this guy. What is he like? And they said, be careful. They told me not to say anything to frame myself and maybe lose part of my reputation. Not agree with him all the time because sometimes it's a slippery slope where he takes you somewhere where you don't want to really engage. Yeah. And I guess in this regard, I, I did well because I was diplomatic and I was nice and I tried not to be mean to the audience who was offending me and stuff like that. And... It just went and it was over before I figured out. And then I felt guilty thinking, you know, I've actually allowed this guy to use my name and my face to present his project. And I was actually picturing yeah. this kind of advert that he would do to present all the people who agree with him when presenting Bitcoin hacks. 
And I said to myself, I, I actually have to redeem this. I have to feel less guilty some way. And what's the best way of doing it? You know, I'm a journalist, so I, I can look it up. I can investigate. So that's what I did. At first, it was all about the underlying principles and philosophy and some red flags like the small team that he has with no actual reviewers. And most people who participate in this project are actually newer actors in the space. So he doesn't have very experienced developers. Yeah, that's red flag number one for me. <laughs> it's like he's supposed to have all this money, but he didn't shell it out to build a ERC-20 token. That's why I'm, I'm going to go ahead and predict it now. I, I think it's going to... I think it's I think it's gonna hit an exchange and then something's gonna happen to the token. It's it's gonna either be compromised or it, it's it's gonna it's gonna shit the bed. There's no way this thing is gonna work the way he says it is. I I, I just don't believe in, in Richard Hart or his technical team. Uh, I think he only has like one developer, right? I actually spoke to one of the developers after he left, and he told me that my article was one of the reasons why he was pushed to actually resign as... Oh, wow. Who's his, who's, what's his name? His name is Kieran. I think he was removed from the page and he told me, you know, Vlad, you mentioned me in, in the article. I did some investigation because he said that he worked on early Bitcoin and Litecoin projects. And I asked people around, including Charlie Lee, and he told me that, no, he hasn't worked for Litecoin. So he wrote to me and said uh, he was on the Bitcoin talk forums on the section about Litecoin. And at the time he was a high school student and he just engaged with people. He didn't really develop stuff. The most he or the closest he came to developing anything was when he launched a bounty for a mining software, which was adapted for his processor to get more coins. I guess this was in 2011. And it's not like he can claim that he developed, but at the same time, he's a very nice guy. And he told me, you know, Vlad, I signed up for a different project and Richard Hart has hired me to develop something else. And then it changed and I didn't want to be a part of this. And I want my business. He, he runs a business in developing I want my business to succeed and I want to have many other clients. So could you please, now that I resigned, remove my name and give me a clean sl slate? Yeah. And I, I thought about it and maybe that it's not his fault. And it's the classical Eichmann argument, you know, the Eichmann trial. It was from the 70s and the argument that he presented, it was... It happened in Jerusalem and Eichmann was one of the Nazi commanders. And he said that anyone who would have been in his position would have done the same because he was just follow, following orders. That's the argumentation. But in the case of the developer, he hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't killed anyone. He hasn't scammed anyone. He just wrote the code that he was told to write. He had no self-determination in this regard and it's yeah. not like the code is launched and i said to him okay i i can remove your name you can look for another job which maybe is less shady than this but he decided to leave and i guess that's red flag number two 
Yeah, for sure. And then tell us about the one Bitcoin hex for for every person that claims Bitcoin hex. This is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so this was pointed to me by, I forgot his name. It was Nick something on Twitter. Oh, Mark. I'm sorry, Mark. So it's Mark Rex. Mark underscore Rex underscore H. Really smart guy. You should follow him. He actually checked the smart contracts in the GitHub repository. And he found some parts which for every one coin which gets minted for the person who claims the coins, there are going to be a proportional number of coins being issued to the origin wallet. And the origin wallet supposedly belongs to Richard Hart. And it's not just about claiming, it's also about referred new signups. And also, what was the other one? Gosh, I just don't understand why somebody would go claim Bitcoin hacks and then knowing that he's going to get every single coin you get. But not even that. Who cares, right? Because it's just, it's just, it's just basic. It's not worth anything, right? But once he has those tokens, once he creates enough, like, you know, uh, virality behind it, He's going to throw it on exchange. He's going to dump every single one of those on you guys. He's going to pull a, basically a red Creighton, uh, move to Puerto Rico, and you'll never hear from him again just on Twitter. <laughs> like, this is his exit. I, I, I don't see why people don't see that. It's like, why would you want to participate in somebody becoming crypto millionaire and then uh, moving off to Puerto Rico so they don't get uh, sued by the uh, SC, or, or the SEC or get taken, taken in for tax evasion or whatever? Like... It's obvious the guy the guy lives in Florida. It's a quick jump to Puerto Rico. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I just see all the and, and yeah, I, I guess I'm uh, probably like uh, you know guessing on this stuff, but it's obvious to me because that's what that's what a scammer would do. I mean, we saw it with Rhett Creighton. Are you familiar with Rhett Creighton, the the serial forker? Rhett what? Rhett Creighton. Let me look it up. Maybe I remember. So this guy, yeah, this guy was from Austin, where we're from. And uh, I was trying to get in contact with the man because I really wanted him to come on the show. I wanted him to explain himself. And he never did, which was cool. But he's, he was the guy that would take two different uh, cryptocurrencies and then fork them together. But he would hold like a really – I can't think of uh, the, 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 the one that he forked together. But there was one really bad cryptocurrency that – was just long, like old as hell and wasn't doing anything. He bought a shit ton of it, forked that that one with like Bitcoin or, or, or something else. And then uh, ultimately <laughs> the price of that Fort coin like went through the roof. He dumped on everybody <laughs> and, then, and then did it again with uh, Bitcoin private. And then he flew to Puerto Rico. <laughs> that was the last we ever saw of him here in, in Texas. And it, it was one of those things to where like – and Rhett, Rhett was actually on Richard Hart's show. So I'm almost certain either either Rhett uh, gave him the idea for this because if you look at who Richard has had on his show, he's had him on the show. He's had a couple other people that were kind of uh, not sure if I would call them scammers but maybe uh, questionable at best, right? Uh, I'm sure he's learning all, the, all these tricks from them. <laughs> it, it, he's not interviewing like people – 
in the space that are, are trying to change the world, right? Or, or trying to build out a new payment system or, you know, even creating their own blockchain or whatever. He's interviewing people that, uh, that he can get, he can steal ideas from. It, it, it's just plain obvious to me. Like, I don't know, maybe I just see through all the bullshit clearly and uh, some people don't, but I'm so glad that you put this article together because you bring, you bring to light a lot of different things and gosh, Anyways, <laughs> yeah, uh, for the sake of completing my argument, I'll just say that the last instance where the Origin Wallet collects coins is when penalties happen. And he, I guess Richard Hart has, has been bragging about that whale penalty, which he has, where <laughs> over 50% of the coins get taken away just because you own too much Bitcoin. But that's just dumb. If that happens, you're going to split your coins into different wallets. But it's very unlikely at the same time that any kind of whale would join Bitcoin hacks. Yeah. And then not only that, like, this is why he he doesn't have, uh, he wants to ban, you know, all these old school Bitcoiners from, from joining. He doesn't want them dumping on him. <laughs> You know, it or he doesn't want them dumping first because they're friends with the people at the exchange that he's going to get on and they, they, they can jump on it first before him. It's obvious. Like a lot of stuff is just obvious to me what he, what he's doing. Uh, happen, actually. No, there is no way that can happen. So let's say that Satoshi wakes up and sign and signs up for Bitcoin hacks with his 1 million Bitcoin. Richard is going to get on par one-on-one coins according to the smart contract. So whatever somebody claims, Richard gets the same amount. And he also claims with his own Bitcoin. So he's going to be the king of this scheme. Dude, it's brilliant for the scam that it is. And uh, I applaud him for trying to get away with it. And, uh, you know, that's why I, I think it's, I, I know I know you're of the mind that not wanting to share this, not wanting for people to know about Bitcoin Hex. I'm of the mind, no, people need to know, people need to call them out for what it is. Um, we, we just really need to call out these people. Like if we don't do our own policing in this space, you know, the SEC, the, uh, the governments of the world are, are going to do it for us. And um, now you just got to call people out on shit. That's just how I feel these days, unfortunately. After I wrote the article, I I have received a lot of messages from people. Some were threats and insults. Others were just pats on the back saying, you know, I knew this all along. So congratulations for discovering this. But I was told a few days ago that during the live show that he did, he said that he doesn't promise anything and he's not going to make any promises for the specific reason that saying that you're going to get rich with his project is going to turn or maybe potentially turn his project into a security. So he doesn't want to get investigated. And that's another red flag. The idea that he's trying to run away from any kind of governmental authority and he wants to be low key and just lay low talk to his audience, try to launch the project as quickly as he can, convince them to sign up, and then maybe make a big campaign about, oh, you are late with your sign up, then you can still buy some on 
this exchange and use your Bitcoin because my coin is going to get to the moon and it's going to get <laughs> pumped. So this is where you make all the gains. Maybe he's going to keep yeah. this for a longer time. So he's going to have people who actually make money, potentially, and he's going to call them on his show and promote this as a very functional scheme which makes people, people rich. And when you get one happy person, they're going to bring their family and stuff. That's how pyramid schemes work. When somebody actually makes some money, they're going to recommend the project and say, this is legit. This is going to legitimize the whole scheme. But at some yeah. point, it, it comes crashing down. Yeah. I, I don't even think it's going to get that far. Like, I, I really, really, really believe that the everything that he's promising, he's not going to deliver on. And it's going to be broken. And it's not going to work. You can hear, or I don't, you can see him like on the show. Uh, he's sweating about it. He tries to explain some of the, uh, the nuances of uh, creating a smart contract. and He can barely wrap his mind around it sometimes when he's trying to explain it. And he's, he says, oh, you guys are too dumb to understand what I'm talking about. That's what he says. So that tells me that he's he's shitting himself. He doesn't know if it's he's going to be able to pull it off. And I honestly think it's just a it's, it's just a because right now you can literally create your own ERC20 token if you wanted to. Anybody can. Um, I forget the website, but you can like it's for fun. You can do it for fun. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be that low level, but I do feel like whatever he he he's promising, it's not going to deliver on anything that he says. It's just not going to work. Uh, I don't even think it's going to get that far. I think he's going to I think he's probably going to change the name from Bitcoin Hex to something else once he goes through this whole kind of trial period. And then at that point, I could totally see him you know, issue it on an exchange. It it lost all the name of Bitcoin Hex. Uh, so that's not not carrying any baggage from that. The only thing that's behind the project is this guy named Richard Hart. And I that's why I'm saying you got to call him out now while, while it's still fresh so people realize his name is attached to this project. Whether the, the, the project name changes, he's still attached to this project and this is who he is. This is what he wants to be in the crypto space. I mean, you can either... I mean, there's so many different ways you could go in this space. You can either do it the right way, like build an audience over time, educate the masses, um, you know, uh, participate in the crypto community, like similar to what Charlie did with Litecoin, right? He sold his Litecoin because it was his to sell, right? It, there was no pre-mine or anything like that. So that's what I'm trying to say. Like he could do it the right way. It's just that he chooses not to and he's trying to go and do it shortcut it i just, think he, he's a smart person at core but he's jealous that everybody else is successful and has done something yeah. in the space whereas he he may own some bitcoin and he may be wealthy in this regard but wants something more wants something oh well he, he, he talks he about honestly, making gains all the time and how nobody yeah. is in this industry for yeah. The technology and everybody's just thinking of U.S. dollars. And maybe that it's his mindset. He started the premise of Bitcoin hacks from the idea that you should be greedy and you should be taking all the coins which are unclaimed or lost on the Bitcoin blockchain. I guess that's the initial idea that he had. What about all these lost coins? And then he said, how about we 
take a snapshot of the Bitcoin holders right now. And people who don't claim are going to lose their coins and they're going to get to those who do claim them. But that's worthless. You don't have a proof of work system. You have no kind of costs to run an ERC-20 token. It's on the Ethereum blockchain. It, it's just there. I can create yeah. one and it's going to be just as worthless. The value of it or the price on the market is given by the honest people who think they're going to get rich. So they acquire some amounts by using their BTC. Yeah, it, it's it's overall bad. Like if he really want, I mean, honestly, he would have been better off just create, creating a fork. Like if you really wanted the Bitcoin name, just create a fork, man. Like just create a fork. Like people still would have been upset about it, but it wouldn't have been a scam to this extent, right? So I don't know, man. I I, I just feel like he's kind of gone off the rails here. And I think you're right. I think he sees Roger Veer. He sees uh, uh, other people in this space that are are making money. And he's just like, I'm just as good as them. <laughs> I can I can go on CNN. <laughs> I can go on CNBC. Uh, I could talk to a crypto trader. Like he he tries to make himself feel so important. It's sad. It's yeah. It, it, I just feel sad for him because it, he obviously just doesn't realize how this makes him look. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't care. Either way, it's. But I, I've read. I read in the past. I don't know what Reddit thread I was on, but they said that he was a, a, a spammer uh, back in the early 2000s. Like his businesses that he ran were, was basically, he was just spamming people. Um, is that true? Have you, did you ever look into what his businesses actually were? Like he was called the spam king or something? It was on our Bitcoin and it, it was unveiled around the time when he had that debate with Roger Veer and people started looking into his background and said, where did this guy come from? And obviously our Bitcoin is owned by the Bitcoin cash community and they were oh, trying wow. to be defensive to Roger Veer and come up with points that would present him as the winner of that debate. I, I think if you talk to Richard Hart during his show, it's hard for you to make a point it's hard for you to actually talk because he, he, he likes to <laughs> yeah he likes to bring the spam and talk much more than you do and to some people talking more means that you're more knowledgeable when it's actually all about the argument itself but i i guess there are different audiences who analyze the quantity and say that's the most important factor while others will say it's all about quality. It's the same with presidential debates. If you listen to the candidate speaking, some people are going to appreciate the one who took all the time to speak, while others are going to like the one who said maybe two sentences, but they made sense. Yeah, but how, how did we get here? What do you mean? This, this part? <laughs> this long into time? I, I, I forgot yeah. the initial point. Uh, we can stop talking about Bitcoin hacks. I, I'm I'm done talking about it. I, I I'm I'm doing this because I want to stop talking about it. It's kind of very similar to what BitConnect was. After a certain point, I just wanted to stop talking about it. It was just I was just done. I was like never bringing it up again. The only reason I'm talking about Bitcoin hacks uh, yesterday is because my audience is asking about it. Car, what do you think about uh, Richard Hart's Bitcoin hacks? You know, I get that in my Telegram, and I'm like, 
uh, do I really tell him how I feel or should I do my due diligence and talk to Richard and find out exactly what it is? I already know I have a feeling. <laughs> um, so, no, I reach out to him, try to get some questions answered. He disregards me. Uh, and then finally, I think he ended up actually answering some of the questions. I shot him like four questions. I already knew what the answers were going to be. Um, he deflected a lot of the straight questions. And there was somebody else I think had asked him a question, just straight up question, just answer the damn question. Um, he's just avoiding, deflecting, uh, pointing out others. Uh, typical signs of somebody that doesn't uh, accept ownership of what they're doing. So at, at that point, uh, I, you know, I don't, yeah, life's too short to argue with people like that. And so it, to me, that's why I'm just like done at this point with Bitcoin Hex. Uh, it is what it is. Like he, he wants people to go on a show and argue with them and for argument's sake. But I don't want to be attacked by his whole Richard Hart community. Like those people are probably just as evil as he is <laughs> when it comes to threats and everything like that. They're just as bad as he is because uh, they're they're aware of this being a scam uh, and they want to take the ride with Richard. Um, so that's why I'm just trying to steer my audience away from them. I care you know, two shits about his audience. They're obviously uh, like-minded people like him. Um, and then I, I, I'm more concerned with my audience. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Vlad? I think I have three points. First of all, I just remembered that I wanted to tell you why he hasn't forked Bitcoin. Why okay. this isn't an honest fork. It's because that would take actual mining rigs and that takes money. And operation okay. costs. So you have to buy the equipment and then you have to run it for a time. And then you have to write different consensus rules, which diverge from the nodes, which are official and agree on the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's how you fork. You're going to be cast out and you can start your own network. But if you're going to keep on using the same consensus algorithm, like SHA-256, then you have high chances of actually getting attacked. Or even though you switch to another one, there's always a chance that somebody with more computing power than you is going to try to attack you. That's the risk of running something which is proof of work. You have to be honest in the space. You have to agree with everybody else and earn some kind of respect or else you're going to get attacked. It happened to Bitcoin Gold, it happened to Ethereum Classic, and many other smaller coins, which yeah. maybe I shouldn't mention right now because they're not relevant. Yeah. But that's why he did an ERC-20 token, because it relies on the security provided by the Ethereum blockchain. And it takes a lot of money and a lot of hashing power to attack Ethereum. So that's unlikely to happen. In this sense, he thought about it very well and said, how do I minimize the risks and the costs for this? Oh, how about I switch to that project, which I didn't like before? Yeah, and that, that was weird too. Uh, I remember him bashing Ethereum at the time. I was, I was thinking, does he not look at, you know, because my background's in technology. That's where I come from. And so... To me, when I see Ethereum and when I talk to it with my friends, it's exciting. <laughs> like the the uh, it's like looking at the internet, you know, in, in the early '90s and wondering what it's going to be. And um, that's how I see Ethereum. And mostly, most of the people I hang out with here in Austin see it like that too, as well. I don't code in 
or no solidity. But uh, from some of the people that I talk to, they're excited about it. Um, so when somebody bashes it, I'm like, wow. Uh, I don't know. I hang out with enough geeks to know that uh, if if they're excited about something <laughs> and it's open source and anybody can join in, uh, it's probably going to take off. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I can see why people criticize Ethereum. It had a big pre-mine for the founders. They had that DAO hack, which they solved in the least, I guess, honest way. They just decided that it's much more important to give the money back to their investors instead of actually agreeing that code is law and they should move on with it and fix the code instead of just rolling back the blockchain. Yeah, and they take yeah they took. A, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, they just took a software approach. I mean, that's what that we that's what you do with software. You just patch it and move on. Like it, it, it's it's. I think people. Uh, well, I totally understand where they're coming from when they look at it like that because in Bitcoin it's like a something that would never happen, right? Or you can't even happen. But with Ethereum, it's it, it's a software. It's a piece of software to them, or they don't look at it quite the same. Uh, it's just a different mindset, and and I think. Uh, most people uh, don't realize that, um, especially Bitcoin maximalists. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What else do you want to talk about? Just my last point about B hacks yeah. or Bitcoin hacks. B hacks. Some, somebody has messaged me. Yeah, it's the hexit of Richard Hart. The hexit? Yeah, it totally is an exit. I, I guarantee you, Vlad, he's jumping to Puerto Rico. Hang out. He's gonna hang out with Rhett Creighton there. They're gonna drink margaritas, and he's gonna stick two middle fingers to everybody in the space. It's cool if that's what he wants. That's what he wants. But I'm gonna call you out on it. I'm, you're not gonna get up. <laughs> I'm gonna call you out on it. It's, I'm sorry. It just has to happen. Uh, I don't care if no one else calls you out on it, but I'm gonna call you out on it. It's just the way it is, right? Like you gotta call out people that are that are bad actors in the space and. If we don't do the cleaning ourselves, like somebody else is going to do it. And yeah, but at yeah. the same time, I just want to say that none of what I said or what I have written is financial advice. And I actually spoke to somebody yesterday who was very convinced that he has to sign up. And I said to him, I, I have given to you the arguments. I have presented some of the evidence which I was able to find. But at the end of the, the day, it's all about financial sovereignty you are the holder of your own Bitcoins and you are responsible yeah. for your own actions. I'm not going to tell you don't do this because then, then present all the arguments which I can think about. If you take the time to read and analyze and you still find reasons to participate in Bitcoin hacks, then you go ahead, do it. I'm not going to stop you. It's not my responsibility. On my part, I have done the best job that I could do under the circumstances and with the amount of information that I had. I don't think I want to backtrack and if the code changes to actually change the article because that would be burdensome. And yeah. I think it's a good idea to keep it as a snapshot of what it used to be and remind people that at this point in time, even if the code changes this is what the project was trying to do and i know that bitcoin hacks is the result actually the developer who left told me 
is the results of another idea, which Richard Hart had before about a CFD, which is, I'm not even sure what the abbreviation is for CFD. It's like a holding that you have, but it, like when you trade on these kind of stock market exchanges, but you don't really hold the stocks, you just hold a bond that you own it. Let me look it right. up. But uh, it was supposed know, to be a Bitcoin, Bitcoin CFD before, but then it turned into Hex. And now that I published the article, I'm very sure that they're going to try to change the code, at least slightly, or sp spin the narrative and say that the Origin Wallet is some kind of safe haven or safe lockup where they hold tokens to be redistributed at some point in time. That can happen. I mean, Richard Hart is the authority in terms of hacks and he can say whatever he wants and people don't really have the means to check. Right. I will say, um, I will say for certain that the, the, the amount of time that I've spent in this space as a public figure and, and doing these podcasts, um, I've come to realize uh, that other people on crypto YouTube will not call him out. Uh, they won't even call out the people that were doing BitConnect stuff. It was much later that they started calling out those people. But crypto YouTube won't won't um, won't uh, step in, right? Uh, crypto Twitter, on the other hand, they'll, they'll call out people, um, but not to the degree. It's more of a meme, right? They'll they'll make fun of something. That's their way of calling stuff out, right? Um, uh, when when I look to crypto uh, uh, websites and, and, and journalists, you guys do a really good job of investigating this stuff, like you did on this one. Um, there's really great articles that are you guys are just covering there at Crypto Insider, and uh, your work is phenomenal. Flat, keep it up. I try. That's what I get paid for. I guess we yeah, should all try to do well in our jobs. Yeah. And one quick point. I will say that podcasts, for me, that I've come to realize, a, a lot of people listen to podcasts. And the, the type of demo that you get for, for podcasts, uh, people, you know, they, they say that people that listen to podcasts tend to have college degrees or are professionals in the, in the workspace and um, or they they spend they make this amount of money. There's all these statistics for them. But none of that matters to me, right? But you actually spread the message better through podcasts. And when that reaches, and I've seen it happen multiple times uh, with with our podcast, we start covering something that no one's talking about. Um, another podcast picks it up. A bigger podcast picks it up, uh, and then that reaches you know. Um, crypto YouTube or, or that use or that reaches, uh, you know, or it's informed by y'all, the journalists, um, podcasts. I like, I, I take so much information from journalists on, on a daily basis when it comes to, you know, presenting the news or presenting, presenting any stuff whatsoever. I always reading up on every single website and trying to learn as much as I can, uh, in the brief amount of time I have before I air. And I feel like, it's our job. It's our duty to do this because 
no one's going to talk about it. I feel like crypto YouTube is just a reverberation of itself. If you go on there, a lot of them just talk about themselves uh, or they talk about stuff that every, everybody else is talking about. It's very reverbish. Like every, no one's, there's nothing new, you know, that's going on there. Every once in a while, somebody will surprise you and deliver something new. And those are the people that I really enjoy because they're actually bringing something new to light. But for the most part, crypto YouTube just, it's a reverberation. They're all talking about the same things. Uh, crypto Twitter, meme central, right? Um, at crypto Reddit, it's, it's, it's a, it's so hard <laughs> to, but if you can find some good stuff there, but it's so hard to like get, get your point across, but stuff can be, can be examined there and, and good stuff can come out of there. But most of the time it's very hostile, right? But I will say for certain that if, if, if it starts with us, like if we don't start talking about this, other people in the space won't talking about it. Crypto Twitter won't make those memes. <laughs> like you have to police the space yourself. You have to do your due diligence and just do what's right. I don't know. I'm going to get off my soapbox, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> what do you think, Vlad? I think the best way to police the crypto space is to remind people about the core values of Bitcoin and tell them what it's all about. As it's not just the speculative aspect that some people see when they trade and they say this hasn't gone up more than 5% in the last week, so I'm not going to invest in it. That's not a wrong perspective perspective to have in hindsight. Maybe that it's healthy for people who trade to think about it in these terms. And it's helpful for the industry at large to have traders. They bring money and they are the ones who actually ensure that there is a volume which gets traded on a daily basis, so they are useful. But Bitcoin is all about decentralization, being sovereign on your own funds, having the freedom to run your own node and participate in the network. A lot of people are not aware, but when you run a node, you actually have voting power. So whenever somebody tries to impose new rules on the network, and I guess the most dangerous consensus change can be about the 21 million supply. And some people have actually run analysis and very extensive mathematic hypothesis. And they figured out that miners are actually better off with a larger supply and fewer halvings of the supply. So if somebody actually changed to make it maybe 40 million Bitcoins, there would be much more profitability for the miners. And it's in their best interest to try to change the rules. But when you run a node, you're actually countering any maneuver by a miner to do that. And you're disincentivizing people from trying to launch attacks. The more nodes you have, the more consensus you're right. going to have about the fixed supply and the block size and all the other rules. So in a sense, that's one of the values of Bitcoin. And then there's the idea that it's immutable and it's unconfiscatable. There is no central authority to tell you where to store it, what to do with it. Nobody can take it away from you. That's just the beauty of being in charge of your own money. And if you want to participate in the mining process, you can just do it. 
you just buy a mining rig and you do it, maybe you're not going to be as successful as people who do it on the industrial scale, but it's still possible. Whereas in ERC20 tokens or in proof of stake, it's all about just being a participant. And in some proof of stake systems, you get coins according to how much you already own. And that's also going to be Ethereum 2.0. So it's in a sense an oligarchy where the richer people only get richer. Whereas in Bitcoin, it's always about the system of changing elites who mine the coin and maybe run out of business, just like Bitmain is doing right now. They're doing very poorly. They're having a bad performance. They're and miners are not selling like they used to. So they're going to leave much more space for other companies to step in and do the same kind of work. Or maybe that one day we will all end up having our own mining rigs in our homes. And that's going to be the ultimate level of decentralization. It's really interesting. And when China bans mining, they're going to see how the mining rigs get moved and then you have the Blockstream satellite, which allows anyone to synchronize the blockchain without the internet connection with just a mesh antenna and a laptop. And that's also a way to actually participate in the consensus and potentially do mining in places which have no internet access, like in the middle of the desert. So there's a lot going on. When you think of other projects, you don't have this kind of investments and you don't have the same smart developers who even think about short radio waves using these small antennas or radio transmitters to relay information about the blockchain so it can synchronize without any restrictions for governments. Because in the Cold War, you had short radio waves which were sent across borders by countries to bypass all the Cold War protocols and restrictions and send messages across, like in the Soviet Union. And that's very brilliant. When you, you think about nowadays about the Chinese firewall, that can be bypassed by radio waves which can be intercepted, they can be distorted but the nature of the signal cannot be changed, and that's essential. And those are just a few of the qualities that Bitcoin has and no other project is going to have anytime soon. So if you think about all these ideas, maybe that you should not invest in something else and you should be skeptical about the five-year or the 10-year prospect of any other project, Maybe I'm not a financial advisor. Yeah, um, all all great points. You know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin to me, um, I I I really believe it can change the world, and it's it's one of those things that when you discover about it, when you learn about it, you really understand that. Uh, there's no one that's in control of just the entire network of it. Like, I feel like I feel like I feel like these days, 
I mean, if you look at the dollar, for Christ's sakes, like we're at like $20 trillion. The dollar is a global reserve currency. At that, at some point, that's going to just blow up in everybody's faces. There is no other exit but Bitcoin. Like, I, I'm not a person that um, agrees with... Uh, I, I, I'm a person who believes in using Bitcoin and, and purchasing it with fiat and either... You know, giving it away to somebody or outright paying with it in any way I can, there's absolutely no way would I ever sell Bitcoin for fiat. I'm just not going to do that. Like, and I, I think it, it took me, it didn't take me that long to discover like the possibilities that were with Bitcoin and just participating in the, in the network itself and transacting on it. I think people lose sight of it being an actual crypto or currency. And they try to use it as a store of value. And that's cool to each their own. You get whatever you want out of Bitcoin. But I, I think the killer feature of it all is it's the only decentralized currency in the entire world that we all view as having value. I mean, and it has its own payment rail. Like, and it's going to get better with time. And it doesn't make any sense for you not to throw fiat into Bitcoin because that fiat's going to be worthless <laughs> when everything breaks. I don't know. Maybe I'm a doom and gloomer, but I just, I'm just a big believer in, in Bitcoin being a, another currency in the world that people will just use. Like, uh, it'll probably take years or it'll, it'll probably take a product as, as big as the iPhone, but we'll need that, that we'll need that singular product for the crypto space. It'll come, uh, it'll probably take that type of product for the crypto space for, or for Bitcoin or for whatever currency, but it, it's going to happen. And when that happens, like, it's people aren't going to not use cryptocurrencies like they're, they're going to use them like this is how the future is like i don't know I'm, I'm just bullish on cryptocurrency just in general um i'm a fan of the technology don't don't get me wrong like i love looking at every project and diving into it and learning about it and seeing all the cool stuff that it's going to do or has potential to do but when it comes to bitcoin that one just has my heart like it there's there's nothing there's nothing in my mind, that comes close to uh, a currency like Bitcoin, like at all. Um, yeah, you can use Ethereum, you can use Litecoin and other stuff for, for for payments and stuff like that. And it's great for for stuff like that or for transferring. Uh, you know, like I, I like today we just gave out some Litecoin uh, on our show just to give it out. Um, but it, it's Bitcoin is one I give that out too. But Bitcoin is one that I'm like. I'd, I'd much rather pay with it than, than give, turn it back to fiat. I just don't see the point of it. But I, I know people like to become, you know, they want to see that Bitcoin go to 20,000 or whatever. And then they want to they want to sell it for fiat. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Why would you sell it for for fiat? Like, go out and use it uh, with that with that value priced in. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm just naive, I guess. I don't know. I was actually having this conversation on Twitter with Peter Todd, who is a developer for Bitcoin Core, and he's a very yeah. brilliant person. And he said at one point that he believes that we need cash. And I agree with him in the sense that you need the kind of money which is fungible and is private. If the two of us exchange a dollar bill, nobody's going to know where it went. Yeah. And what happened to it? 
well with Bitcoin at this point before any kind of privacy upgrades, <clears throat> you don't have any kind of privacy at all. You can actually check on the blockchain and see every transaction. And the best you can do is use Wasabi Wallet to merge your coins and they appear in a stacked number of transactions which are hard to trace. So this is just an obfuscation which is temporary. Yeah. At this point, it's not fungible. And up to the point when we can have the privacy which allows us to not distinguish between the coins which were minted last week and the ones which were used on the Silk Road, then we're not going to really have a valuable or a functional Bitcoin in the true sense that it's ready for the real world. And up to that point, at least up to that point, we need fiat money and we need cash because with credit cards, it's so easy to check every transaction and the banks have absolute control over how you use it and how much you withdraw from your account. And they have daily limits of how much you can withdraw. And sometimes they ask you to fill in forms and explain why you want to take away money from your account because it makes no sense to them. Why would you want to take cash when you can just pay with your credit card anywhere? But that's a slippery slope with the cashless society or what they call it. And I agreed with Peter Todd that Bitcoin is much more like the kind of collectible, which is scarce and valuable and cannot be confiscated. And it exists on the internet just because cryptography allows it to not be confiscated. And if it was a physical product, it would get seized by governments and confiscated and we would not be able to have this. So this didn't happen until the internet age and the age when cryptography got developed just because we did not have the means. But it doesn't mean at the same time that we are witnessing another product which tries to bring the dream of banks of removing cash and replacing it with electronic transactions. Bitcoin is not really electronic cash, even though it says in the white paper, electronic cash system. It's much more of a valuable asset, which is much more akin to gold and works more as a commodity at this point. And with the Lightning Network, which is more private than the main chain, you're going to have quicker and cheaper transactions, even at the micro level. So the bottom line of all this long argument is that we actually need cash and not Bitcoin cash, but Bitcoin needs cash. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, call me a spook or whatever, or tinfoil hat, but I, I just, I just don't think cash. Uh, are you talking, when you say cash, are you talking about like US dollar? Or are you just talking about any type of cash? Any type of cash, which is not oh, okay. highly inflationary and for yeah. which you can do exchanges. Like you meet somebody and you say, I'm going to give you one Bitcoin and you're going to give me in cash the equivalent, $3,500. And you're going to agree and this is a fair exchange. So this is better than going to exchanges and 
taking money away because you expose your personal data. You go through that whole KYC AML process. And even if you're not a bad actor, you want some privacy. You don't want everyone to know what you're doing. You don't want the bank to have a complete record of your activity. That's actually Orwellian. And when you demand for privacy, you actually care about the freedom of our society. I think there's yeah. so much more at stake than maybe the $10 that you spend on something which you find shameful, like, you know, a porn subscription or something. You, you paid for <laughs> one month of membership on, well, tell me a name of a porn site, Razors or uh, something. I can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah, you can't think yeah. of one. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But uh, you want to pay for that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And you want privacy. And that's a fundamental human right, theoretically. But the credit card company can actually track down and see to which company you've sent the money. Yeah. That's dangerous for our democracies and for our political systems. As we're going to get to the point where... Actually, I think we got to that point where banks are extensions of the state and they provide full documentation about you and what you do oh, on request. Yeah. Yeah, 100% they do that. So if they yeah. want to extend that and make it even more authoritative and controlling, they can actually check every transaction and make sure they, they can use any kind of argument like to avoid terrorist funding. They are going to use this. The public is going to eat it up and say, we are doing this for our own protection because the times are so dangerous and we want to be protected. And that's a slippery slope in itself. As the state turns us into potential criminals, instead of actually looking for the exception within this large group, they turn us all into potential criminals. And to me, that, that's not something, that's not the kind of world that I want to live in. And I don't think life is worth living in a place where you cannot have any kind of privacy. And that's also one of the reasons why we need cash, because that's from where I started. Because cash is not tracked. It doesn't leave marks. Maybe it leaves like fingerprints at most. Other than that, you're not, you're not sure if the dollar bill in your pocket was owned by Pablo Escobar at some point. That there is no way for you to know that, and there is no way the go the government actually cares. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I want privacy. Uh, you know, I, I think privacy is important. I just think at this point, um, uh, you just gotta you just gotta realize that you're already being tracked, right? So even if you wanted to, um, you know avoid getting hacked or, or, um, or e even trying to like hide your identity or your real identity or something like that. Um, no, it, it, people can find out who you are. They can find out your, where you live. Like you do all these things. Uh, the government can do it right now if they wanted to. Right. Um, but I, I, I think I ultimately think that 
the more we more we move into this kind of Aurel, what is how do you say that Aurelian, Aurel, how do you say that guy's last name, Orwell George Orwell, Aurelian. I have trouble pronouncing stuff. Um, so when you go into that kind of future, I feel like, I mean, you're battling a behemoth, right? Um, it, it, it's almost you're being forced to live in public, and that's good and bad because you you get rid of people from being pieces of shit <laughs> right and, and to to each other and maybe the world becomes better but at the same time you're you're ruled by a government that wants to make you even less more stupid and even more misinformed and you know so that goes on um or you can battle them and uh, ultimately uh fight every day to keep your privacy Man, I hope in the future there's somewhere in between, right, where we could have some things be private and some things be public. But at this point, like, who knows, man? It, it's it's definitely something. I do believe in privacy. I think that we should fight for it. But I also see the other side, so I'm kind of torn. I don't know. But this is this is my state of mind these days when it comes to everything. I I see two I see two sides, and I'm almost caught in the middle to where I just don't even want to pick a side because I'm like. Well, how do we know which side's going to win? But I want to play both sides because I see both sides being uh, important in the future. Or maybe one side has one thing that's great about the other side doesn't. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person that thinks like that. But but yeah, that's kind of my logic behind it, unfortunately. I come from a country which used to be totalitarian until 30 years ago. We had a dictator, we had a system which was, they call it communist. It wasn't in, you know, the theoretical sense. When you read Karl Marx, it was not really like that. But it, it was terrible for personal freedom. And if you just said a joke against the dictator, you could just be taken away to a forced labor wow. camp. Where is that at, Vlad? I, I'm Roma I'm Romanian, so oh, okay. the country is called Romania. We were not part of the USSR, which means that we had some kind of autonomy. But at the same time, when a, a decision was made in Russia about something in Moscow, more precisely, we had to follow the orders. And there was only one instance when we didn't follow and that that was pretty bad for the country in hindsight, and we have lost some some economic means to actually support our day-to-day -day trades. It, it was in 1968 when USSR invaded Czechoslovakia, and we refused to actually participate with army. And anyway, I, I diverged too much. I got sidetracked by the idea, but... It's terrible to live in a world where the government is almighty and knows everything about you. And yeah. the American system that you live in was built on the idea of power controls power. It's all about checks and balances. I know that James Madison was obsessed with the idea and he did not like the British monarchy and the parliamentary system. And that's one of the reasons why you have the president who is held accountable by the Congress. You have this 
these checks and balances, which are supposed to constantly create conflict. And when conflict is present, then you know you're not going to have any kind of dictatorship. You're going to have this balance which keeps the society moving forward. And you can never really control. The more you control, the more you're going to become, the more unpopular you're going to become. And it's all cyclic. It has worked for you for over 200 years. It has influenced the rest of the world. You have no idea how many countries are emulating a similar system. But at the same time with the internet and everything that goes on electronically, they have the means to store everything about you. And you have many potential bad actors who may not be governmental. Maybe you can assume that you have the secret services and they work in your benefit and do the best to make sure that you're safe. But that's just an assumption. You can never be sure what they actually yeah, do. We'll check them. Yeah. But you, you never know how many intermediaries are in, in this process. And if the people who actually are employed by the government to take care of you are honest about it, how, how can you actually check? How can you actually be yeah. sure that you're not having your data mishandled? Or if you try to run for president in, say, 20 years, oh. you're going yeah. to get blackmailed with the shit you said on the internet. We are a whole <laughs> generation yeah. which gets exposed to this huge risk. Yeah. And I may be like an angel on the internet and say all the popular stuff and never yeah. get into fights, but they can actually access my microphone when it's not turned yeah. on and they can listen to me during my moments when I'm alone or they can check my webcam and see what I'm doing in my room. They can access my phone. They have complete control over my remote means of communication. And that's why we had the cypherpunk movement in the 1980s in the United States with people who basically said that privacy is supreme and it's much more important to have your data private than to be compliant with the laws. That's why there were punks, but they like cryptography and that's what made them cipher. And through their work, we got inventions like end-to-end -end encryptions. And that's why when you send a message in Signal or WhatsApp, theoretically speaking, unless somebody else has the key for your conversation, there is no way somebody can actually intercept your communication. And you can be sure that no bad actors are involved. And then you had people like Julian Assange or Assange, I'm not sure how you call him, who for a number of years has been running WikiLeaks and has been exposing governments of the world in their attempts to be abusive. Yeah. And then you had people like David Chom who invented, invented DigiCash and it was the first attempt to actually create a system of digital cash which was encrypted. And then all this series of cypherpunks like Adam Back who invented proof of work as a way of using computing power to prevent spam on the emails. And then you had Wei Dai who tried to make B-Money which is similar to the idea of Bitcoin but did not have all these elements added to it to make it complete.
And uh, I guess the closest attempt was Nick Sabos, who had bit gold. And 90% of it was very similar to Satoshi Nakamoto's invention. Right. And he's not even mentioned in the white paper. But yeah. anyway, he brought us many innovations from cryptography all the way to, to the idea of running smart contracts. And I know that in the early days of Ethereum, he was even participating and advising them and giving public talks. I, I guess this, this was in 2015 or something. You can still find a lecture on YouTube. Yeah, Vitalik always brings up uh, Nick all the time. And he thinks, I've heard him say that he thinks he's uh, Satoshi. Or that would be his first guess. Yeah, that, that's also mine. Because why, why would not Satoshi mention Nick Sabo if he took so many ideas from him? So he mentions everybody else, but not Nick Sabo. Plus the whole scenario about going silent. Did you ever see that? Uh, did you ever see the uh, interview with uh, uh, Nick and Tim Ferriss? There's a podcast. And you hear uh, Nick talk about uh, Bitgold. But he said, yeah, first we came up with uh, Bitcoin. Or he goes, I'm sorry, Bitgold. <laughs> like there's this whole like uh, like 30 second kind of clip where he's he's talking to Tim Ferriss. And uh, he literally says Bitcoin, but it means Bitgold. And uh, Tim didn't catch him on it. But he corrects himself. And it's kind of like, wow. <laughs> like, is that? Like, I don't know. But um, it's definitely, I know there's been some kind of like actual, um, wasn't there some kind of like uh, penmanship tied to him as well too? Uh, I think the CIA was able to run some study that was uh, covered, I guess, maybe in Wired or some tech magazine that was able to find out that uh, his... Uh, the way he the way he uh, wrote uh, on the internet uh, was very uh, similar to what he was doing. I don't know if I have that right or not, but there's just a lot of different things that uh, like that you brought yeah, up. Podcast reveals anything. Maybe, Did you listen to it? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for him to think about the invention which works and which he mentioned in his articles, as opposed to what he came up with prior to that. So it's the term that you use more generally. So sometimes I confuse in my mind. Maybe it's because I'm not a native in English. But I say oh. lightning instead of Litecoin. Oh, okay. Uh, they both have the light in their names. And sometimes I mess it up in my mind. And when I have to say uh. lightning and Litecoin, it's like mind-blowing. <laughs> it takes an extra effort. I, I have to think about it. Maybe that's what happened with him. I don't know. Just just some things that I'm just curious about his his uh his background and stuff in regards to He's space, one of the but... smartest guys I've ever oh, had the chance sure. to. You talk to him? Mm, a bit, but in tweets, like exchanging oh, some okay. ideas from time to time. I try to message him twice. He doesn't respond to DMs. Yeah. Uh, I don't even try. So when I see that, he doesn't reply say okay just leave him alone he wants he's a cypherpunk he likes privacy so whatever it is that i'm asking him is just unimportant 
He writes all these great articles. He has a brilliant mind and all, all this knowledge in so many fields. I feel in many ways, and I feel sorry that I mentioned Richard Hart in the same sentence, but Richard Hart <laughs> tries to be him and have, really? have oh, knowledge wow. from all these fields. The only difference is that one is overly public and tries to build a persona and a character. Yeah. Well, the other is trying to hide away as much as he can. And he only goes to, I think last year and this year, he went to a few conferences and made talks about, usually he likes to present public scalability as an important issue and how we can actually achieve it. The premise of scalability as a social element is that we live as humans in this world with limited resources and we actually have to find ways to coexist to share all the resources that we have and make sure that we are peaceful and that we get to create societies which allow for us to discover new means and maybe research projects that help us move on and maybe create something that our minds right now cannot even conceive. But for that, we need to trust each other. Something for everybody to thrive, right? Something that creates something for everybody to thrive together, right? Is that what he's basically doing? Yeah. And he says that trust is the element which keeps us together and that trust scales very poorly. And you can only trust a small number of people at one time. And there are many other strangers with whom you have to interact. And one of the ways through which you trust people is money. As Mm. it's an objective and the kind of object which everybody agrees that has value. And you trust in the value of that object. So if you want to do the trade, you have to trust the person for a limited amount of time that they're going to be honest. And money is actually an element which helped us develop as a civilization and expand beyond what we see on our daily basis. It enabled some people to have the kind of lifestyle which allowed them to travel from town to town to sell products. They were yearly merchants bringing goods from other places and selling them. And this was essential to stepping out of our comfort zone before we had the internet. And now we need to re-understand and try to analyze once again what it is that makes us evolve as a civilization and adjust our understanding of trust accordingly to make sure that we move on. And this brief presentation that I made about public, not public, social scalability is actually a bad presentation of Nick Sabo's ideas. So if you get to read the articles, they they are so much more in-depth and so revealing and mind-blowing. You're going to just... Yeah. Like you tell me about it right now, I'm just like, wow, like... It's such a different approach to figuring out the world's problems. And he's able to do that in his own way. And 
from what you describe right now, it, it almost seems like he's constructed something that uh, would probably work. <laughs> I, I, does he say anything other than just money uh, as a form of trust? And, uh, and oh, he, uh, he says a lot of stuff. He even has researches about the NASA projects. And sometimes I wonder, mm-hmm. how, how, how does he have time to read about that? Even wow. has a nice comparison with NASA's moon landing and the exploration that the Chinese empire was doing around the same time when Portugal was exploring the world. Portugal was actually doing it for trade purposes and to seize resources and establish colonies, while China was doing it just for the vanity of the emperor. And each time a ship was going to Africa, for example, a ship from China, they would just ask everybody to praise the greatness of the Chinese emperor and spread the word about it. But it was never, it, it was never something practical. It was just propaganda, which maybe that the locals were not perceiving as such, were not really understanding. So it wasn't really working. But it was just the vanity. And he said that the moon landing from 1969 was just a vanity act, which didn't really help humanity find something useful. It was just about getting there and showing to the entire world that a man can actually land and walk on the moon. And that that was it. It was a lot of taxpayers' money which was spent on the project. But they didn't do much research. Right. I guess at the time it was just about the Cold War and trying to prove that you have the superior technology and you are the greater world power. When the USSR were the first to send a man in space in 1960, it took the United States quite some time to catch up and develop a space program which was competitive. And I guess that was about it. But now I guess they got much more pragmatic with small, what's their, what do you call them in English? Uh, I can come up with the Armenian term. Satellites? Satellites, but those that collect rocks. Um, You're talking about like, um, hmm. the only thing that comes to mind right now, but my head is just like Voyagers. Yeah, Voyagers, um, the ones that actually go beyond what we can see on telescopes and take pictures and collect all sorts of minerals and maybe test the quality of the atmosphere and provide us full information. Yeah, just robots that they uh, send out there just to do, yeah, all the navigation and experiments on, on the device itself. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize he did all of that. Um, I didn't realize he researched all that. That's fascinating. Yeah, he has a background in computer science, and he got into cryptography, and then he got into money and went all the way to the history of money and the first forms, how people were making exchanges, and what this actually means. As in, they were using colorful shells in the beginning that's what he found and they evolved all the way to gold which was maybe the greatest of all discoveries as gold was and still is 
the kind of metal that you can melt into smaller pieces and is not wasteful is actually um, demanding in, t in terms of manpower. It takes a lot of effort to mine and take gold out of mines. So when you have it, it's actually a sign that you made an effort as opposed to using something else which was easier to find. And people had much more, were more willing to give you their maybe agriculture products or dairy products or gold as they knew that it, it was not just shiny. It was hard to get. It was cars. That was yeah. the whole point. And when you look at Bitcoin right now, it has so many elements of that evolution of money and that actually figured out very well how people think and how, I guess, the innovation is not in the cryptography itself, but in the way it solved this issue of how do you make people agree on a protocol? How do you make them run the same program at the same time and not diverge and not argue and accept that it's more profitable to actually be part of the group than to try to attack. Yeah, I, I, I really think that, uh, you know, that these days, you know, with all the infighting, especially during this whole crypto winter, but I just feel like the infighting with uh, Bitcoin maximalists and, you know, all these other cryptocurrency camps is, uh, I don't know, it's just reached a threshold where it's just almost made me just like, um, just ignore it at this point. Um, just because I, I'm a firm believer that a lot of these projects, whether they, they went out or not in, in the next cycle or, you know, whether they uh, change the world or what are they, whether they like are able to accomplish what they are set out to accomplish, you know, there's going to be some that are going to surprise us. And um, I think to, to only think that Bitcoin is going to be the only project that uh, survives in long term. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I can see it surviving as a currency long term, but to think it's going to be the only blockchain project or, you know, or whatever you want to call this next generation uh, of, uh, of the Internet, Web3 or whatever. Um, yeah, it's just not going to. I just don't I just don't see it uh, being the only project that sustains or envelops everything. Or engulfs everything. It's just too. To me, to me, it's always going to be currency. I guess. Um, what do you think? Well, the maximalist point of view in this regard is that all these technologies, which happen to appear in altcoins, will eventually end up in Bitcoin. Yeah, I hear that. Altcoins are actually small-scale experiments to see how the technology works. And then they get to put it on a side chain or find workarounds to not hard fork the main chain and implement it. At this point, the most important aspect of it is to not try to impose anything. That's one of the approaches that the developers are using right now. And that's why we don't have full scale SegWit adoption 
even though it's convenient to be able to have bigger blocks when necessary. It's just not agreed upon by all the participants and that's perfectly fine. They're going to have Schnorr signatures, which allow for greater scalability and more privacy. They're going to have some other upgrades, which enable more privacy. And not everybody is going to want to use them, but they want to maintain the compatibility of the network to make sure that the coins of those who have not upgraded are still on the same chain and can still be used. And Satoshi can come back at any point and still be able to claim his coins. That That's a good point, which has to remain <laughs> applicable. Whereas in the case of Ethereum, you have the whole network, which has to run the protocol upgrade, or else they're going to be part of a hard fork, which is not acknowledged by the Ethereum Foundation. So it's not going to be worth anything in the long term. They're yeah. centralized in decision-making. And what I don't like about it is how sometimes they they just get together in a room and they decide, how about we delay that part and we establish that and we don't follow precisely the roadmap and we do this first and that part later. And they say, okay, let's do it. And then the whole network has to adapt. So as a protocol or as a world computer, what they like to call it, it's not really decentralized and it's hard for me to think of ways through which it's going to change. That's what the big yeah. problem is that you can't even run a node at this point and it got to the level where you need industrial type of hardware to be able to run a full node and synchronize with the rest of the network. You had all the yeah. ICOs and all these dApps, which were pretty bad, but they were deployed on the blockchain. And when you look at them now, they're not working anymore. Uh, I doubt any decentralized application has too many users. And maybe that the best kind of decentralized applications are the decentralized exchanges, which allow you to do quick swaps between different cryptocurrencies. And that's nice. But that also has to evolve some way and get better. And yeah, I, maybe it will get I, better with Ethereum yeah. 2.0, but I, I don't think it's going to be as decentralized. And as long as there is a foundation to make decisions, then uh, it's difficult. Yeah, I, 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 come to mind, I come from the mindset of when I look at Ethereum, people look at it for its price and they want to chase the price down. And I don't. I don't see it that way. I don't look at the price and 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 and, and feel like okay, this is going to dictate everything that I do. And I'm sure Vitalik is not looking at that price right now and wondering, oh, how can I make <laughs> how can I make it go to 20x or whatever. I'm sure that's not on his mind anymore. At this point, he's just trying to create some cool shit. Like, and and sometimes that requires you know a centralized. Uh, group of people to to make those those strides in, in that direction, and I, I personally think that um, I personally think that there's a lot of developers out there 
that just want to create on Ethereum. Like they, they want to be a part of that ecosystem. There's a reason why, you know, guys come out of college right now, you know, software devs or whatever, they're not looking at the iOS platform and wanting to create, you know, the next Flappy Bird. Like they, they want to create on Ethereum because it's cool. Like it's it's the it's the coolest thing in crypto when it comes to technology right now. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear that. Bitcoin maximalists don't want to hear that. And I totally get it. But I really can see both sides. I, I can I can totally see the other side of things and look at it. And if you look at it as a currency, you're not going to be impressed by it. I I, I don't look at it as a currency. I look at it as a, as, a, as a project, as a blockchain project, as a continuing project. And this is where all the developers are going. Like at a certain point, um, at a certain point, Bitcoin just became too, um, just too important <laughs> in a way, you know, it, it, it almost became its own worst enemy because it, it became uh, worth too much. And, 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 uh, and it's good. It's good that that happened. Like we needed uh, an OG. We needed something that would solidify the space that would keep it stable. And uh, Bitcoin is that, and it could be that. And, and, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the in the current Bitcoin as a currency. Uh, yeah, it could have store value, but I, I look at it as a currency. But when it comes to Ethereum, I, I don't see any other project in in the top ten that gets people excited um, like Ethereum. Um, this is why we had this next wave. People like to think, oh, it's ICOs and stuff like that, and, and it is to a certain extent. But it, it's more because of the scammers came on board. They saw an opportunity to make millions overnight, and they did. And they they learned about Ethereum, what they needed to learn. They picked the very best programmer they could find in a ten mile radius, and, and they created, you know, ICO token. Um, but uh, the people that I talk to, the people that I want to create cool stuff, like they're going to Ethereum because it's cool, and it brought in a wave of developers. It, it brought in a wave of technologists that would have never entered the space if it wasn't for Ethereum, and I don't think uh, it gets enough credit for that. I'm not saying it, Ethereum's going to be worth $1,400, you know, here in the next year or anything like that. I'm not would it predict that or even make a guess in, in, for that. But I will say that Ethereum as a blockchain project is very important here in the short term. Like I look at something like EOS, you know, we can go back and forth on why it's so centralized, but it's another it's another you talk to some devs in the space and they're excited about EOS <laughs> because, you know, uh, these people that are coming uh, from that background, they don't mind centralization because they're used to it. Uh, we're used to working on, on parallel systems all day in our day jobs. So when we see something like Ethereum or EOS, uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, scare us off, but to a Bitcoin maximalist, uh, somebody who's not a technologist or maybe is a, you know, a cypherpunk or has these ideals, um, you know, stake to the ground. Yeah, I, I could totally see how they can look at that and be like, get away. <laughs> You're ruining the space. I, I could see it. I, I see it both ways. I really do. Um, I, I'm just of the mindset that there's a need for both of them. But I don't know. I'm definitely one of the few people that, that think that. I, I I don't look at any cryptocurrency project right now where I'm, I'm just disgusted by it. I mean, maybe Bitcoin 
SV, I would say, is downright disgusting <laughs> how it happened here in the top 10. But, um, you know, we researched Tether. That looks very shaky. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use it personally. Um, uh, one that I want to do some more research on is Tezos because I find it very fascinating how it's growing as a community right now. Um, slowly but surely. It's growing and you're starting to see these little pop-ups everywhere. Like here in Austin, the Tezos meetup group has kind of spawned out of nowhere. And I'm like, that's interesting. It wasn't there, you know, two months ago. It's only been Ethereum meetups, meetup groups. But here's a Tezos meetup group showing up here in Austin. And it's like, hmm, like that's interesting, right? So it, it like these little things, these little pockets of community, find, I find very interesting because it tells you a sign of where the space is going. And it, it shows you exactly... Uh, what's being worked on or what people are excited about. And you, you go to these meetups, Vlad, and, and you come to realize like these are just these are just kids coming out of college and they're excited about Ethereum or they're they're excited about EOS and they don't they can't explain why, but they are, you know. But yeah, but yeah. in this industry, I, I think something that Ethereum and EOS did very right is to finance independent groups of developers. And they, they had this budget. They received a lot of money. Ethereum was the first ever ICO. No, it wasn't the first ever ICO, but it was the biggest ICO of its time. And they had a lot of money to pay people who were interested in getting in and learning the programming language and working on their roadmap and their different projects. And right now you have sharding, you have the Raiden network, you have Plasma and all these other projects which are being worked on at the same time. And it's not clear which one will make it to the main chain first, but they are funding brilliant minds to come into the space and actually try to bring their input and leave their footprint on the protocol. And that's something which even the Bitcoiners admire. And I spoke to Giacomo Zucco who is an Italian Bitcoiner who started the B Foundation last fall. And he told me that this is the part which Ethereum did best in terms of attracting developers and using their money to actually help small teams get involved. Whereas Bitcoin being so decentralized and relying on the community never really had a budget for PR and for development. All the developers are actually funded by the community and those who make donations to them. Or maybe that they got in so early that they don't need to work anymore, but they do it just because they like it and they want to protect their own Bitcoins that they own. And also EOS was the biggest ICO of 2018 and 2017 it took a whole year to raise the money and they they got a lot of ethereum and even if they don't do anything i think they can afford to be in the top 10 for another another couple of years just because they have so much money to keep themselves on top and sell their ethereum tokens but it, it makes sense for young graduates in computer science 
to get into these projects as they, they find the kind of job which is exciting, both financially and in terms of feeling like they contribute to something new and exciting. Of course, they're not going to work or pursue jobs at Google or Apple or some kind of big corporation, which yeah. limits their potential. Yeah, people are leaving in droves. If you're very brilliant and you try to be creative, then you're always going to look for the new industries and try to find a proper job to use all of your talents. And that's that can be found in both Ethereum and EOS and unfortunately not too much in Bitcoin as the circle of developers is pretty narrow and it's hard to get and you, you have to be very smart and you have to be able to support yourself in the first phase. And only then after you make a name for yourself and people actually respect you within the community, you're going to get donations from those who are interested. But in, in the case of projects which are more centralized in terms of management, if you come up with a good idea or you just seem willing to work on their ideas and improve upon them, then it's more likely for you to get a well-paying job. And I guess it brings a greater satisfaction. And about your point on Tezos, if you speak to the people from Crypto Insider, I guess you find a couple of very ardent proponents of Tezos. And I think that's what's so beautiful about our core group of journalists. It's that we have so many different opinions on projects. And mm -hmm. I'm more towards Bitcoin and like Litecoin. And yeah. I'm slightly skeptical towards Ethereum, but I try to educate myself about it. But then you have people who like Tezos and Tron and all these new projects which came last year. And yeah. I think about it and say, okay, this, this is fascinating. At least we have this plurality of opinions and you can always turn to somebody and learn something new. And I guess somebody from Crypto Insider also has started writing for a website which he calls Tezos Insider, and it's all about Tezos. And he's trying to oh, wow. build a community around it. His name is Nathan. So he's very interested in this side of the business. And he thinks that baking is the new mining. And he will tell <laughs> you why it's such a brilliant innovation. Interesting. I need to, I need to read up on Tezos. That's one of my things that... Uh... I'm going to have to do here fairly soon um, just because I haven't checked into it. But you start seeing these pockets develop uh, around everywhere like you're talking about Tezos Insider. That's interesting to me. And I keep seeing keep seeing more and more kind of community growing out. Um, I'm not sure if that's organic or if it's kind of where it's coming from because I haven't done the research on it. But um, when it comes from an organic place, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it really is. It's so hard growing a community so hard but when you can grow one it, it it's it's a beautiful thing because you have a lot of people working towards the same uh, goals um and that, that doesn't have to be cryptocurrency goals or anything like that i just mean like 
you know, going out into your neighborhood and just being a part of the community that, that you're in there. Like most people don't realize this, but if you download, there's a meetup app on, on most devices, I think iOS, Android, and whatever else there is. And you can download a meetup app and you can have, um, you can attend different crypto, crypto, uh, meetups uh in the in your area um and you'd be surprised you'll find some bitcoin meetups you'll find some ethereum uh, i just recently saw tezos pop up um and um yeah it, it just it's really cool and then you start hanging out with people in real life and you start realizing like oh wow these they're actually excited and you learn like you said you learn something about new about a project and you're like wow they're actually excited about this you know and they tell you why and why they got into it and you start realizing like oh wow this might be something. Um, Tron, when we, when we reviewed Tron, Tron was one where, you know, to me, I haven't looked at it since about a year now at this point. But uh, when I looked at it initially, there was all that kind of swirl going on about their their white paper being plagiarized. Um, and then there was also Justin Sun, and he's notorious for, you know, being a marketeer. Um, and I think the only thing that I can look at Tron um, and see with clear eyes these days. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but once they built that conference at Nitron here in 2019 and they 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 paid Coindesk and they paid uh, Cointelegraph and a couple other big media publications to come to that event because it was it was a, it was an event in San Francisco. Um once they did that, they kind of got the the green light from <laughs> from uh that media publication and now they're they're now on board with uh, rolling Tron stories. And to me, that's a very strong tell of how media publications are just as, uh, um, how do you say this, are, are just as uh, to blame for some of these projects that either are not what they say they are or, you know, they didn't do their due diligence and investigate further or they just turn the turn the other way you know so i don't know if you've noticed stuff like that but i've i've, I've come to realize that uh, that happened here over the past month here in the space because we look at the space we look i look at this thing every day there's not nothing that i'm not seeing here show up um, but um that's why i like y'all's site y'all y'all clearly have uh, a lot of different people working on uh, a lot of different stuff and um yeah, so it's 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 good. It's refreshing. Um, there needs to be a, a balance of sorts. Yeah, sometimes sure. we disagree, but at the same time, I trust their judgment. And it's not up to me to trust. I'm not the boss. I'm not running the business. But when I look at it and I actually say, you know, this guy is smart and he's looking into this project, which... Maybe I don't like, but I can at least read about it and educate myself and understand that there's something beyond my day-to-day -day readings. And maybe that sometimes we get stuck in bubbles and only... Yeah, that's the worst thing, yeah. Only see some points of view and only hear some opinions. And that, that can be dangerous for our mental health. And it's, sure. it's always useful to learn something new, even though you disagree with it. Because you understand yeah. and you develop arguments and you begin to realize that there's something bigger than what you know. 
Yeah, and, and it's not even that should also apply to politics. Yeah, it's not even yeah that that too like you know when it comes to politics I, I don't bring it up in the podcast because I'm not a politician <laughs> and I think if I told people my views on politics they would run away scared <laughs> because I on like I'll I'll bring it up now but I honestly think the world can run itself like I don't think we need these people with power to to tell us what to do I, I think at a certain time maybe <laughs> back in whatever late ages it was uh but i think at this point we we all can take care of ourselves like we're all pretty adult about things <laughs> so I, I just am not a believer in um, a centralized government at this point I, I think just let everybody do their jobs like this thing can run on its own <laughs> that's just what how i feel now when it comes to military and all that stuff i have no idea because i don't know how any of that works so this is why i don't bring up politics because i don't know how that stuff works i just stick with my cryptocurrency lane but yeah. Um, anything else you want to bring up or talk about? You know, I feel sorry that we started talking about Bitcoin hex and we had that long discussion about it. And well, we in a way that we wasted time discussing something which is useless as opposed to it. presenting ideas which can be useful to the audience to grow intellectually and if help it, us exchange it, ideas if if this is a selfish exchange and nobody's going to listen to us, I still feel like I've learned something new from you and I've heard different really? opinions. Oh, yeah. You told me about all the Ethereum and the Tezos meetings and gather, gatherings there in Texas. So you have given yeah. me an insight that there is something beyond what I see on Twitter. And that's useful yeah, oh, sure. to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm so lucky. I realize this and I'm grateful for it being here in Austin because this is a growing, thriving tech community. Um, people are, are vacating San Francisco and they're heading to Austin in droves. Um, every week here where I work at, um, we get applications from people, you know, trying to work here, you know, in Austin or work for us. Um, I, I do. I'm a system administrator by day. That's what I do during the day. Like, manage servers, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people that I talk to, like at work, like there's maybe like four or five of us that are into cryptocurrency. Uh, everybody else just laughs at us. <laughs> uh, the, all they know is Bitcoin. And these are tech guys. Like these are guys that, uh, you know, can, you know, set up, you know, uh, an entire server rack and uh, have it in four different offices spanning Houston, Dallas, uh, Corpus, uh, you know, and, and these are guys who are in the space and they think Bitcoin is uh, monopoly money. So this is this is why I, I don't think this is why I think my perspective is unique, because most people don't. And this is in Austin, like this is biggest, you know, one of the biggest growing, fastest growing tech spaces, you know, in the U.S. And. Most people don't realize, like, these are people I work with every day and they're very smart and they know their shit. Like, so if they're not on board yet, <laughs> who, who who probably should be on board, right? Uh, we have a long way to go. And um, when I talk to the younger community of developers, I come to see that they're just excited about Ethereum. They think, they think Bitcoin's cool, but they're excited about Ethereum. And... Um, you go to conferences and stuff, and all you hear is Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. Um, but uh, people are excited about Ethereum. 
and it's because it's it's a, it's onboarding all these new people, you know, that can come from tech backgrounds that necessarily would have never got into cryptocurrency because they they think Bitcoin is monopoly money, which I you know I, I used to argue with them, <laughs> but at a certain point. I stopped arguing with them and then Bitcoin went to 20,000 and all of a sudden people want to know how to buy Bitcoin. So let's go ask Carr how to buy Bitcoin. Um, but at that point, uh, of course, I'm going to help them. But at the same time, it's it's one of those things where like you're bitten by what you see or you're informed by what you see, but you're bitten by what you don't know. And um, a lot of this stuff you know, no matter how many times I, I look at it and reread it and study it, it just never sticks, right? Or, or it's just sometimes it's just so hard to to gather all this information and come out with a concrete um, like argument or or anything like that. And sometimes it's just best to let the people that uh, are in the know or uh, well informed or uh, know what they're talking about discuss this stuff and just listen. And that's why I was. More than happy to listen to you talk about Bitcoin and Litecoin and educate me on that because clearly you know a lot about uh, that subject and thank you. I don't think I know a lot. <laughs> I think you do. I do interviews yeah. with other people and I have my mind blown all the time. I learn yeah. something new and I, I try to understand their perspective and where they come from. And I yeah. realize that the beauty of this whole I'm not sure if it's an industry or if it's a business, but this whole community is that we all bring our life experiences and we all bring our skills into the game. And the way we perceive something which is just code and is just computer science is so different. At core, I am a political scientist. I went to university and uh, did political science and then comparative politics and political philosophy. So none of this really has anything to do with the underlying code of Bitcoin. But when you look at the way the actors behave, you can think that they are politicians. And when you find out there that there used to be a foundation for Bitcoin and it's still active, but it's not influential anymore, then you're going to realize that, hey, you have influencers in this field who matter more than the others. And it's them who actually create the narrative and it's them who maybe manipulate is a strong word, but according to their actions, you actually get the feeling of the market and understand where this is heading. And you actually mentioned that there are a lot of people interested in Ethereum. And it's thanks to these people that we had the 2017 bull run. Otherwise, nobody in the West wakes up in bed and says, you know, except for the hardcore libertarians, but nobody except for them wakes up one morning and says, you know what I need in my life? sound money. I, I hate the money that I have in my pocket. Yeah. It's not good anymore. It's inflationary. I'm, I'm not going to buy gold. I'm not going to buy jewelry or something which like art, which yeah. is expected to go up in price. I'm going to buy something which has the most qualities of sound money and has Gosh. the potential Speaking to Speaking my language now. So <laughs> no, nobody really does this. But the people who do this don't have access to Bitcoin. And that's a problem because you yeah, have I know. 
you have all these unfortunate citizens of the world who live in live under regimes which oppress them and do not allow them to have financial freedom and all the liberties that we have from an economic point of view. And they are the ones who need Bitcoin, but they cannot acquire it. At the same time, we had many happy stories about people fleeing Venezuela. And it was thanks to the fact that they received some Bitcoin and were able to book a flight to the United States that they were able to actually get away from that oppressive regime. And that's impressive in itself, but we only have small scale examples. What we need is a larger adoption. And I guess you just gave me the idea to write an article about how Bitcoin supports maybe democracies, not necessarily the agenda of the United States of America in terms of foreign policy, because obviously nobody would want Venezuela to thrive when it's under embargo. Mm-hmm. But it's a way of bringing more financial freedom, which in itself is something which brings justice to the world. Yeah, most definitely. No politician can come to you and say, I'm going to take away your money. From now on, you're going to be poor. That's not going to happen anymore. And unless you resort to torture or something which makes you give away all the details about where you hold your cryptocurrencies, then we actually hold and stand a chance against governments to raise our voices and make our demands and say, from now on, I don't want you to do this and I want you to respect more of my rights. And I want you to be more accountable with the tax money that I pay. And that, that's something very important because up to this point, we, we were just paying taxes without ever yeah. caring. And it was just deducted from our income. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's the same in the United States. Because- yeah, it's still deducted. Like I get deducted so much <laughs> in taxes. It's just ridiculous. And none of it's going to what we want it to go to. to. Sorry. It- what was that? If when you get employed for the first time, for example, you don't ask questions. You're you're not really wondering why is this amount of money going to the state from what I earn. You just take it for granted. You say this is the amount that I receive at the end of the month, and this is the one that I get to spend. So I don't care about everything else. But when you think about it, there's all this shady side of the government where it's funding. And when you think about the United States, you have the Guantanamo prisons and all the spying operations and the military, which sometimes you have entire Navy units just sailing on international waters, trying to just collect information about Chinese ships and all that sort of crazy stuff. And you have planes which fly above countries trying to detect radio signals or communications which cannot be intercepted by satellite. So you have all these operations about which you don't know that maybe you wouldn't really want to finance with your own money. But the government actually justifies by telling you that you're funding public education, healthcare, and bridges and roads and railroads and everything that you agree on, but you get taxed actually for the stuff that 
otherwise you would not agree on. And I guess yeah. that's the yeah. kind of power that cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin yeah. give us. And it's it's interesting that you say that. Um, totally agree on all those points. Like, I've come to the point now in my life where I realize that um, this podcast has helped me too to realize it. But I've come to the point in my life where I can't rely on my government anymore to do anything. I have to do it myself. Um, so when it comes to wanting to see something change in the world, I start with myself and I start with the people around me first. And I'm a big believer in that this year, like a big believer. Like if I want the world to be more friendly, I need I need to be more friendly. Um, if I want the world to, you know, to um, pick up trash and not, you know, you know, leave a mess behind or or uh, cut people off in traffic or, you know, I need to do these things. I, I need to be the change I want to see every day. If I, I if I if I don't want to see people suffer on the streets, I have to be the one that says, hey, let me buy you something to eat here at this next gas stop. Like, I'll be right back. I need to do that. It's not responsibility. I don't. It's not even about the government at that point. It's just about being a great human being, right? Like being the best human being you can be. And I've come to the point where I realized that that's just the way I need to live my life going forward. And it took me a very long time to understand that because in my 20s, I was very selfish. And here in my in my early 30s, I, I realized like I really need to be the change that I want to see if I if I really believe in what cryptocurrency can bring to the world. Because I like I used to be very... I used to look at the world very bleak, like, like we're not going to be around like here in the near future. But when I think of like what you just said about cryptocurrency and about Bitcoin, especially, I realize that we can check out like we don't have to go with the way things are. We, we don't have to abide by anybody else's rules. And Bitcoin has that kind of power. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I always say buy Bitcoin and save the world, because it, it truly can save the world. If if you really break it down like you did just now, so no, yeah. that, that's the whole point. You have a currency which is neutral from a political point of view. Nobody can confiscate it. Nobody has inflationary control over it. It's all run by code, and you have to trust the cryptography. Which even even I, even though I don't know code, but I can review the GitHub repository and see what's in there. And I can check every line of code. And a lot of people have done it. And one of the ideas which I have about Bitcoin is that Satoshi's wallet is the guarantee that the system works. Because if there was a backdoor or if there was a hack, then somebody would steal the 1 million Bitcoins and sell them on an exchange and then announce that it's over. It's a fair point. Yeah, it's interesting. But as long as it's there, we know that it's still working and it's still yeah. safe. And if one million coins can be stored in one wallet about which everybody knows, then we are a lot safer. I don't yeah. own even, I own less than one Bitcoin, to be honest. Yeah. I'm it's it's one of those. Late. Yeah, of course. It's one of those things where I think you're exactly right. That's true. I never thought of it that way, but yeah. I think having his wallet, you know, out in public and having it never moved, um, it kind of it kind of shows that he's willing to fall on the sword. I mean, if you were going to sell, if he was going to ever sell 
should have sold at 20,000. But that just proves to everybody paying attention that, no, this isn't about selling for fiat. <laughs> and that's that's one thing what, you know, that drives me crazy about some of these big influencers in the space that are maximalist or they quote unquote call themselves maximalist, but they're actually fiat maximalist, right? <laughs> like they want Bitcoin to go up in value, but they don't necessarily want to pay with Bitcoin or, or they want to cash out to fiat because, you know, that's that's the cool thing to do. Or it, 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 It's completely the opposite. Uh, I, I know everybody has to live their own way, but if you're a true, true Bitcoin maximalist, like they say they are, or they, they would... Um, they would most definitely pay with Bitcoin or accept Bitcoin. The only person that I come that comes to mind that is a crypto maximalist that I can think of is Ken Bozak. That guy lives and breathes crypto. Like he pays everything with crypto. And when he has to use fiat, he stamps his fiat with, with crypto on it. Guy has cryptocurrency tattoos all over. Like he's the only one in this space that I know for a fact because I've hung out with him in places. And this guy lives and breathes crypto like through and through. And there's not many people like that. Um, so when I see somebody who's a Bitcoin maximalist, I'm like, how much of a maximalist are you? To what point? Because I've seen the tipping point with Ken. So, you know, it's it's almost like it's it's cool these days for everybody to call themselves Bitcoin maximalists because they want to appear that they, um, you know, that they've been in the space for a while or, or they uh, joined the bandwagon or something. But um, they don't want to actually follow through with what it means to be an actual maximalist. Yeah, but maximalist used to be a derogatory term, which was invented by Vitalik. Yeah. <laughs> so he wrote an article, I think, in 2014 yeah. to classify the different types of Bitcoiners. And he called the hardcore ones maximalists. And after that, <laughs> they got offended initially. And they said, this is just wrong and this is stupid. But some of them have embraced the label in an ironic way. And then yeah. the irony was gone with the new wave of people who came in. Yeah, and that's funny, right? People call themselves maximalists without knowing the origin of the term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like people call so, themselves idiots in the future and say, <laughs> I'm an idiot. But in their slang, it means that they are actually knowledgeable and smart. <laughs> And then yeah. somebody old comes to them and says, you know what idiot used to mean back in my day? Yeah. But it's like they yeah. say a year in crypto is like 10 years in real life. Yeah, dude, for real, right? <laughs> Gosh, man. Like, yeah, every day I feel like um, I look at this every day and it almost, almost like... Uh, I definitely am appreciative because I've learned so much about the financial systems that I never had a clue before. Uh, I understand how the world works in much better ways than I ever knew. It's made me more financially sound. <laughs> it's actually, um, you know, done great things to to me, uh, just like being financially sound at this point in my life where it's made me value saving. Um, and that's all because of Bitcoin, right? and other cryptocurrencies but um it's yeah it's amazing how you get in this for one reason and you know three years later four years later you're completely uh night and day of where you were uh yeah i, I think i saw uh heidi she's of a blockchain chick she said uh i forget what quote she did but she, she basically said the same thing like you come in this you 
Bitcoin is that is that sneak drug that you come into thinking you're going to get rich and then you come out the other side and realize that you're even poor or something like that, but more knowledgeable of how the world really works or something like that. I forget what that quote was, but it's true. Makes yeah, sense. True. But anyway, I think about 30 minutes ago, you wanted to end it and then I, had, oh. I added something else <laughs> and I can hear how your voice is cracking and you're getting more tired in your responses. <laughs> and this is actually yeah, a paradox I mean, because the sun has shown in here. And That's awesome. I, I feel like yeah. I, I'm becoming more energetic. And at the same you are, and I love it. <laughs> past midnight where you live. And you probably yeah, have work tomorrow. 1.30 a.m. No, I'm actually off on Saturdays and Sundays, which is good because it took me a really long time in my life to finally have weekends off. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Vlad. I really appreciate all the work you're doing in this space. Um, I'm going to put all your links in the show notes so people can follow you. Make sure you guys check out CryptoInsider.com and also check out Vlad. Follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, by chance? It's dvladkosta, T-H-E-V-L-A-D-C-O-S-T-E-A. I should change awesome. it to something shorter. But just so you know, this is going to be a bonus episode of the first season of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. Yeah, tell us about that real quick. Tell us about what's, what you got brewing with with all that stuff. I, I, I'm interested because I love listening to new Bitcoin. And you, you're very knowledgeable, so... Tell me. So I just talk about Bitcoin with random people I meet who are interesting and they have something to add about the political or economic or maybe philosophical or even anthropological dimension of Bitcoin. It's all about trying to find all these faucets of what this new invention stands for and how it can change the world that we live in. It's not really fixed by the rules of daily news and what we have right now in terms of consensus protocols, but more about what it can be and what our society is going to look like if we have a type of currency that nobody can control. It's just like gold, but it's digital and protected by cryptography. So that brings a lot of possibilities and a lot of limitations for the governments to oppress us. It gives us the kind of power that we never really had in face of entities which actually possess the entire military power and the means of communication and the means of information and everything that we are never, ever going to take over. But we get to have our independence from a financial point of view. And money makes the world go round. And at the end of the day, they're going to turn to us to finance their operations. And if we hold our funds and they cannot be confiscated, then we are going to have a greater power in the face of governments. I guess essentially that's the kind of topic which I discuss with different guests. But according to their backgrounds and their knowledge and their interests, we sidetrack and talk about different aspects and dimensions of the same discussion and it's fascinating to see how you can ask the same question <laughs> times and get a different answer even though you would expect to have some kind of similarity somewhere 
but it's not there. And different people see the same project in different ways. And that's the most fascinating part. Yeah. I'm going to launch the entire first season consisting of 10 canonical episodes and some bonus features, including this one next week, which is the second week of February. And it's all going to contain discussions which are pretty long. I spoke to some people and they told me that their podcasts are about 30 minutes long or they are edited and contain maybe breaks and commercials and stuff. I'm not going to have any of these, at least not in the first season. I haven't even proven anything to the world yet. Another aspect that I'm going to have is that I'm going to add an individual QR code to each participant who can donate Bitcoin. And half of what I make is going to go to the guest. So if anybody donates any Bitcoin for this particular discussion that we're having, then you're going to get half of it. Oh, dude. That's such a great idea. Why have I never thought of that? (laughs) It's a great way to make people promote it. So it incentivizes them to talk about it and try to make people listen. But it's also to reward the time that you, you, (laughs) you know, you spend precious time that you could be using to make some money right now, but you're not, you're doing this podcast. So why don't you get, if there's any money that is made from it, you deserve to get a portion of it because you have your input and you have brought many people to listen to this and it's your time, it's your effort. And I I guess that's worth something. Some people may say otherwise, but it's a good idea. I'm 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 just a very giving person, just in general, of my time, of everything. So, um, yeah, um, and and plus, this is something I just love doing, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'm special at all. I, I just love doing it, and I would do it anyway. And uh, I just happen to live in the age of the internet, so I can release it to everybody. Well, everybody else, and some people like what I do, and some people don't. And cool if you do, cool if you don't, but. Um, we have we have our own Patreon because that's all there is right now, unfortunately, and they haven't banned me yet. So we'll stick with them, and people can donate to our and be a patron if they want to, and uh, that's what pretty much that's what everything gets paid for um, with that and uh, with my earnings from work during my day job. <laughs> so I'm grateful, grateful for the life I have, very grateful. And we get to do what we like, and that's what matters the most. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on our very first Thriller After Dark. I hope this is one of many. I feel like it is. Um, are you ever traveling to the U.S. or or do you mostly stay in, in, in Europe? You know, the kind of money that I'm making right now, I guess I would have to save a month's worth to be oh, able wow. to get a plane ticket to the United States. And I have to get visas because it's much more difficult these days. But I would love to visit. And actually... You are from Dallas, Texas. Well, not Austin, Dallas, Texas. Austin. And yeah. we actually have, you know, it's due to the media, but we have this bad impression of Southerners with your accents and your cowboy hats. Oh, really? Your mannerisms. <laughs> so Austin is the only place where that doesn't exist in, in, South, in, South, in, in Texas, in the Southern states. Austin is the only place. There's a couple other cities, but in Texas, the only cool place you're going to find is Austin. 
Uh, I guarantee it. <laughs> but I actually have had very nice interactions with Southerners. They were very nice oh, and good. polite and knowledgeable. And even though some of them have like that strong accent, that it's still comprehensive. <laughs> still easier for me to talk to a Texan than it is to talk to somebody from Scotland or something. Interesting. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, if you're ever in Austin, dude, we'll we'll hang out. Uh, you, can, you can stay here if you want. Uh, I have we have our own place here, so extra bedroom, whatever. And then, yeah, man, I if I want to get to Europe at some point, either this year uh, or or next year. Um, we're starting to get invited to some of the bigger uh, conferences um, in, in the space, which is good because. I get to say the same things that I say right now, but now in person <laughs> to, the, to the people that are making uh, some of the uh, biggest projects. And that's not going to happen forever because I think probably here in the next five to 10 years, I feel like uh, crypto is going to get so big that uh, people like me are going to get squashed out. Um, but for right now, I, I get to have fun. So if I'm ever in, in Europe, in your neck of the woods, I definitely will hit you up. Sure, I would love to join you. So <laughs> I, I don't think I got your name. You told me the car. 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 C-A-R. Yeah. C-A-R. Is that C-A-R. C-A-R. Car. No, my, my real, and I, I only tell this story on the very first episode of the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it for you. Um, my first name is Carlos, but I, I, I go by car because Growing up, um, a lot of my relatives didn't uh, speak English because they're, they're, they're either Mexican or they only speak Spanish. So they would say car, car. And so growing up, my friends started calling me car. My family calls me car. Um, didn't go in my whole life, either known as car or los or see los. But most of the time it's car. And uh, that's why I go by car. But it's simpler. It has one syllable. It's... Easy to pronounce, easy to remember. Yeah, and there's so many Carlos Gonzalez's out there that um, <laughs> at this at this point, it, it's such a common name uh, here in Texas, Carlos Gonzalez, that you'll find you'll never find me. There's so many of us, uh, and we all look alike. Uh, but if you if you look for Car Gonzalez, uh, you'll definitely find me. So don't look for Car Gonzalez. <laughs> look for Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's that's I tell that story the very first episode because. People often uh, say, like, why do you call yourself that? I'm like, I don't call myself that. That's what I've always been called. It's like, if you really want to know the story, go go listen to the first episode. That's why I tell them. But, um, yeah, so people just call me car. Now when I go to conferences, it's like, hey, car, car, car. And if I ever want to go to South by Southwest, I'm going Dude, to crash going at to your place. <laughs> Dude, 100% you can crash at my place. Like, they, we actually got punched in, dude. This is like, this is how I know crypto is being taken seriously, Vlad. Because we actually got punched in as a as a as a cryptocurrency podcast for South by Southwest, and that has never happened before. Never happened before. Would have never happened. I've I've been applying for the past two years at this point. This is going to be the third year. Finally got in. It's a seventeen hundred dollar ticket. <laughs> like never happened. And um, now I get to ask David Schwartz, the the C the CTO of Ripple face-to-face why his <laughs> Ripple project is very centralized. You see, so like that's what, like it's very, it's it's surprising to me that crypto has come so far. And when I see stuff like that, 
I'm like, wow, like it's finally, it's finally taking off. Like we're getting actually getting taken more seriously now. And uh, that's why I'm very bullish on what you're doing with Crypto Insider and your work because yeah, it's growing. And um, there's only going to be a few people, <laughs> I feel like right now that are going to come out on the right side of crypto history. And it's the people that were like me and you that were speaking the truth about, you know, scam projects like Bitcoin hacks and calling them out. And in 10 years, when they look back at our work, they're going to be like, no, that guy's been calling people out since the beginning, you know, this and now he's working for this or you know, it, it's you play the long game and that's always a smart game to play. And most people are playing the short game. That's why I feel bad for Richard Hart. He's playing the short game. That's just not smart. But it's yeah. the games hey. that Toshi taught us to play by incentivizing us to be honest players. Exactly. Yeah. But we should all be grateful to this pseudonymous person with a Japanese name. Whom I think is very American, and when I think, you think so? uh, when I think of Bitcoin, it's very, very American. It's like the culmination wow. of the whole cypherpunk movement, which is one hundred percent American. You think so? Wow, I don't know. I'm not and sure. How Feeny was happens. the first person to receive a transaction, and he's American. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's interesting. It's definitely something we have to dive into for a second after after dark. <laughs> but uh yeah but thanks so much for coming on i really appreciate it and i'm uh to all your to all your listeners out there if you guys want to hear more of me ramble about stupidity i promise that i i keep a very concise format when it comes to uh our shows thriller news uh thriller crypto and thriller coin talk uh we we strictly i i tell you every episode it's not financial advice like um i let you know when i'm accidentally either uh spreading fud and we have disclaimers all over the show so uh, you know when you're getting fed uh my line of bs and this is why i want to create an after dark because i we don't have a show where i can just be uncensored uncut and um you can finally understand who i am as a person so yeah if you're interested in that sorry you should also add a disclaimer to say that my opinions <laughs> are my own and do not reflect whatever exactly. crypto might think I will add that at the front of the podcast. My, yeah, I will, I will just do that for you. Yeah, definitely. And for yourself too, as well, <laughs> for both of us, I can't afford to be sued. Me neither. <laughs> and uh, I guess somebody as narcissistic as Richard Hart would do it. Um, so do you want to cut that out or no? I'm totally cool cutting it, cut, cutting the whole first Richard Hart part. We can cut that out. I or if you want to leave such it, a I'll leave discussion. It. I'm not sure how coherent I was because I woke up <laughs> in the process. So it was an entire process of I was groggy at first and trying to figure out what I was trying to say. But now I'm more energetic and active and you're slowly fading and feeling sleepy, which I feel bad about. And I laugh when I get sleepy too. That's the funny thing. Yeah, so uh, do you want to leave it in or do you want to cut it? Either way, I'm cool with it. I don't care. We have spoken about it during the other part of the show, so I guess it makes sense to leave it. I, I okay. stand by my words. I hope I didn't say anything wrong, and if I did it, get facts wrong, I'm, I'm going to correct it. It's uncut. It's uncensored. I'm not apologizing for any of it. Uh, I will say, though, like Vlad said, this is not 
you know, any way affiliated with Crypto Insider. Uh, this is no way affiliated with uh, my employer either. <laughs> and uh, this is not financial advice, but uh, yeah. Anyways, I think that's it. All right. This has been a Thriller After Dark. We'll see you next time.